If you have your Bible, let's turn today to Romans chapter 3, and we'll be in verses 21 and 22. If you don't have a Bible, then please get one of the black Bibles on the end of each pew. In that Bible, it's on page 941, and if you uh, didn't bring a Bible because you just don't have one for yourself, then please take that one. Uh, We want to give it to you as our gift so that you can have God's Word in your home and in your life. Let's read these two verses that we'll be looking at in detail today, Romans 3, chapter, 20, or chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. God tells us by the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. But now, those are good words. Those are good words. My grandparents got married on May 8th, 1945. And that day was a Tuesday. I looked that up. I don't know why they got married on a Tuesday. I would suspect it had something to do with finances, but I don't know. And they had planned that date months in advance. They already knew it was going to be a special day to them. But some of you who know your history well, your ears might have already perked up at the date, May 8th, 1945. That is what we call VE Day, or Victory in Europe Day. That's the day when the word went out around the world that Nazi Germany had unconditionally surrendered to the Allied forces, and World War II, at least the European War, had come to an end. And the war around the world was then on a sure path to come to an end. And the Nazis had been defeated after all of these thousands and thousands of American lives had been sacrificed. We've got the names of 37 of our own church members right back there who served in that war. There was victory. And the world and this country just wanted to celebrate. And what happened at my grandparents' wedding is that people who were just walking by, they were feeling so happy, and they saw there is a wedding happening on a Tuesday, and they just came in just because they wanted to be with other people. They wanted to be doing something happy. They wanted to celebrate together because what was going on and what the world was feeling, what this nation was feeling in that moment was hey, things have been very, very bad for the last few years. Things have been rough. Our brothers, our sons have been dying. The world order has been threatened by obvious evil, but now look, something has changed. There is victory. The Nazis have been beaten, and they just wanted to celebrate. And that's kind of how I feel when we come to this verse in Romans chapter 3, Romans 3.21, when it says, but now, but now. Guys, this is good. This is good. This is a new section in the book of Romans. It's a new section in the book of Romans. It's a new section in history. It's a new section in you and in your life. In the book of Romans, we have been, all the way since Romans 1.18, we have been looking at the absolute depth of human depravity. And have we even mined it deep enough to know it? No, we haven't. 
But all the way from Romans 1.18 through Romans 3.20, here is what it said at the beginning of those verses, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He goes on and he describes the ungodliness and unrighteousness of the Gentile world, of all of the tribes around the world, even those who have never heard a word at all spoken from the Bible or spoken specifically about the God of the Bible. It says they still have revelation from God and it does not save them. It makes them guilty in their ungodliness and in their unrighteousness. And then he turned in chapter 2 to say this applies also to the Jewish people. It applies also to those who did grow up with the Word of God, who did grow up in religious ceremonies, that therefore they have no excuse. Romans chapter 1, or Romans chapter 2, verse 1. And not just they, but you. You have no excuse, O man, every one of you who passes judgment. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. He drove this home. You are depraved. You were born a sinner. You were held up to the standard of the law. No matter how good you have done, you will be found ungodly and unrighteous by the standard of God's perfect, godly, righteous law. So that he could say in Romans 3, 9, what then, are we Jews any better off? Not at all. We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. And all the way to verse 20 that we were in two weeks ago, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This was a whole lot of Bible verses that we were in for kind of a long time, because it's a big section that was showing us every week, you are a sinner who cannot save yourself. And any attempt that you have to say, but I, but my situation is different, but I am in a different category because of where I grew up or because of what I do, he is just over and over and over saying, absolutely not. There is none righteous. None righteous. And by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. But now there's a turning point, but now, but now. We've seen the depth of depravity, the degree to which we deserve hell, that it would be God-glorifying and righteous for God to send us eternally to hell. But now, here's good news. This is the turn in the book of Romans where we see the Apostle Paul doing this and it's not just because he's the Apostle Paul, it's because this is breathed out by the Holy Spirit that there is a driving in of the law so that we can now turn and see the sweetness of the gospel. The law is beating us down, not because it's bad, but because it's good and we're not so that we can then turn and be healed and be rescued and be lifted up and be crowned with glory by taking hold of the hand of Jesus Christ and not by saying, I can do something myself. This is a turn here in the book of Romans. But now, 
And we're going to go into the beauty of the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a turning in history. It's not just a turn in the book of Romans, but it's also saying, look, there was all of this time when there seemed to be no hope. And he's going to tell us later there was hope all along. It was witnessed in the law and the prophets. But it just seemed hidden. It seemed far away. It seemed veiled. But now it has been manifested. It has been revealed. You know what happened? Jesus came. God himself came into the world. The second person of the Trinity took on flesh, became fully human as he had already been fully God. He came into the world. He lived the perfect righteous life. He spoke the perfect word of God. He, he, he bore the penalty for our sins. He died on the cross. And he rose from the dead. And in that resurrection from the dead... He, he said, now go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He said, the Holy Spirit will clothe you with power from on high, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this righteousness of God but now has been manifested. There is a turn in history that God has come. That is a good thing. And guys, this but now... At the beginning here, this is a but now in your life if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or if you will believe today in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a but now that's a contrast between what was in Adam, meaning how we were born just as children of Adam. It's a contrast between what was in Adam and what is in Christ. Let me give you some examples of other places where the same kind of but now wording is used. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. If that were the end, that would be depressing. But now... But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You hear that? But now. This is good. Or in Romans, later on in Romans, Romans 7, verses 5 and 6, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, but now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive. Oh, that's good news. Or as he's going to say in Romans 8, there is therefore now, you hear that now? That's a change. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Oh, this is good. We need that but now, not just as a turn in the literature of the structure of the book of Romans, although it is that. And it is a mighty turn in history that needs to be recognized. But this is a turn, this is a but now that applies to you personally. You who once were under the law, as it said in verse 19. 
the law speaks to whoever was under the law, you now have the opportunity or the reality, if you're a believer, of possessing the righteousness of God that has been manifested apart from the law, even though the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That is a good turn. That is a but now. If you're following along on your your bulletin on the back, we're going to look at the righteousness of God. What are we turning to? What is this but now? It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Now this is picking up from verse 17 of chapter 1, which is the theme verse of the entire book of Romans. He says, for in it, that's in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Or the footnote, which says, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. This is saying this righteousness of God is what we're going to get at. We we have just spent all of these chapters, two and a half chapters, saying here is why we need this righteousness to be given to us. It's because we were hopeless without it. We were lost in ungodliness which then led to unrighteousness. We were lost in not recognizing this specific God and his son, Jesus Christ, not loving God, which led to the unrighteousness of all sorts of things that worked out. That's where we were lost. But here is the good news. The good news that is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, whether Jew or Greek, he says, here it is. It is that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. God gives the gift of righteousness. This goes back even to verse 1 of chapter 1, where he says, here's what this book is going to be about. He says, I am Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for what? The gospel of God. The gospel of God is about the righteousness of God. God's gospel that he gives us is about his righteousness that he gives us. This gospel, this, excuse me, this righteousness, it's not man's righteousness. Where it says the righteousness of God, he does not say the righteousness of man. He just spent a long time telling you, if you are depending on the righteousness of man, you're hopeless. There is no one who is righteous. Those who have rebelled most clearly against God make it obvious in one way. And those who try their hardest in their flesh to be good and to be religious and to do the law, they demonstrate it in another way. Because no matter what, how hard you rebel against it or how hard you try to line yourself up with it, you will be found wanting. So what do we need We need the righteousness not of man. We need the righteousness of God. This has to be God righteousness. God's righteousness is in a whole other category from man's righteousness. Man's righteousness can never cover our sin. Man's righteousness can never lead to eternal life. We have to receive the gift of God's righteousness. You know why I put it that way? Because Paul puts it that way. Because the Bible puts it that way. God puts it that way. In Romans 5, 17, 
it says that we need the free gift of righteousness. You need to receive the free gift of God's righteousness. What it is, it's, it's what we call imputed righteousness. Now, sometimes we think of righteousness or being upright. Sometimes we, we think about that and talk about it. And sometimes the Bible even uses words that describe it this way, about, about our own um, seeking to live uprightly. And that is not a bad thing. God's law is good. God wants us to live uprightly, especially believers in Christ who are living uprightly not in an act of ungodly rejection of God, but living uprightly in an act of worship of this God that we've embraced. Living uprightly is good, but what we need is not to live uprightly. What we need is to be considered right in God's sight. If you, if you go throughout your entire life not breaking laws, but then you murder once, you can't come into the courtroom and say, well, but mostly my life was good. And if you go about your life trying to be upright and you come into God's courtroom, he's not going to take mostly my life was good. He is a righteous judge. He will punish the sinner. He will punish all sin. What we need is a not guilty verdict that comes from somewhere besides us. We would be hopeless without that. That's what this is talking about. We call this imputed righteousness. Not, not our own lived righteousness, but the righteousness that God gives to sinners as a free gift that's received through faith by grace in Jesus Christ. We need to be counted as righteous. We need to have Jesus' perfect righteousness put down on our ledger in God's book as our sin is put down on his ledger and crucified at the cross. That's our only hope. And that's what this is talking about. He's saying, here is what has been revealed. Here is what has been manifested is that Hopeless sinners who could not possibly have this righteousness are given it, given the righteousness of God so that we can have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Let's look here at, uh, at 321. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Guys, that righteousness that we would have, it has to be a righteousness that's not from us. Um, it is the righteousness of God. Let me just read you this, what Paul says about his own life in Philippians 3. It applies to us too. He said that as to righteousness under the law, he had once considered himself blameless, but now he considers that rubbish, something not worth even trying to cling to. He says that now he would have a righteousness of, that is not of his own, that comes through the law but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Well, let's consider this. This is a righteousness, it says, apart from the law. 
a righteousness apart from the law. It says that this righteousness has been manifested apart from the law. And do you know why it's been manifested apart from the law? It's because it came in a person. So many people before this would have thought, well, the righteousness of God, how has it been manifested? Well, it's because he's given us his righteous rules. And in one way, yes, you can understand what is God's righteous standard because of the fact that he's given his righteous rules, he's given his law. But he says, now look, the fact that God would give his righteousness to others, it's been manifested because Jesus has come into the world. And Jesus is apart from the law. He is the lawgiver himself. He came and he submitted to the law. He, he lived under the law. He perfectly fulfilled the law. But this righteousness that we would have that would be received as ours is a righteousness that is apart from the law. Now, once we were under the law and we would have tried in some way to plead ourselves out of this situation and try to say, well, I am not guilty because. But now he says there is a righteousness before God that is from God that is manifested apart from the law. What is that righteousness that's manifested apart from the law? Well, for one thing, it sure seems unfair, doesn't it? It sure seems unfair. The the idea that righteousness would come apart from the righteous rules, you think about those who would want to say, well, what is a good person? Who is a good person in God's sight? How do you get counted as a good person? Well, the normal way to think about that, the human way to think about that, the way that makes sense in so many ways to think about that is, is, well, I must align to the standards of the law. The law just meaning here's what God has said to do and not to do. But this says, apart from the law. You know what that's saying? This is saying that breakers of the law can be counted as righteous in God's sight. Now, what would Satan have to say about that? Do you know what Satan's name means? Satan's name means accuser, right? Satan is the accuser, and he is the one who would stand up and say in the moment when you were thinking, well, righteousness apart from the law, he would stand up and say, that is not fair. It's not fair, and I have good news. It's grace. Praise God. We have grace. Before coming to repent and believe in Christ for salvation, we were under the law, and the only thing we could accomplish before God was a poor performance of the law. But by faith in Christ, what we receive is what's called the righteousness of God. And it's given freely. It is not given (laughs) through the law, but it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's think about it this way. John 1.17 says this. All right? It says, For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean that there was no grace and no truth back in Moses' day? Absolutely not. But it says, here is what was sent and revealed and made clear through Moses' ministry, is the law of God. But here is what was sent and made clear and revealed and just had the, the curtain taken off of the spotlight so it can shine brightly, is the grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ. 
You have the law on the one side. What does the law do? Well, the law gives the diagnosis. But what does grace do? It gives the cure. If you go into a hospital as a dying patient with a horrible disease, you think how silly it would be to go in there and say, I'm going to impress these doctors at how great I can do at eating right and exercising while I'm here. And then maybe I'll be better. <laughs> yeah, that's, not to, that's not to say anything against eating right and exercising, but when you've got a deadly disease, what do you need? There's nothing that you personally can do about it. What do you need? You need the medicine. You need the treatment. You need the cure. Something that can be given from outside yourself. What the law does is it gives the diagnosis. But what grace does is it gives the cure, and it comes in Jesus Christ. I want to read you a couple things. Uh, This idea of the, the righteousness of God being given to us from the outside. Sometimes people talk about this as Lutheran theology or the theology of the Reformation, the theology of Martin Luther. Sometimes people say, well, that's just something that was invented for the Protestant Reformation. Guys, I just love, I've got right here, this is uh, Martin Luther's commentary on Romans, which is pretty short. You know what Martin Luther does when he comments on these verses? He kind of doesn't even really comment. He he goes back and he quotes St. Augustine from the 4th century. He's saying, this is not new. This is what the Bible has always said. This is what people have always seen. Let, let me just read you what Augustine says here. Uh, Augustine says, He does not speak of the righteousness of God by which God is righteous, but of that which he clothes a person in when he justifies the ungodly. Here's another thing that, that Augustine said about this in the fourth century. Just trying to tell you, this is, this is what God's people, the redeemed, have always seen here. In the gospel, he says, The law was given in order that we might seek after grace. Grace was given in order that we might fulfill the law. It was not the fault of the law that it was not fulfilled, but the fault was in man's carnal mind. This guilt the law must make manifest in order that we may be healed by divine grace. That's what we need. The law was given in Moses, grace and truth in Jesus Christ, and it has been made manifest apart from the law. He says, though, well, let me ask you a couple questions. Are you depending on the law today? And when I say depending on the law, that might sound weird because you might think, well, no, I don't, I don't follow Old Testament food regulations. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just things like the Ten Commandments. Are you depending today on the idea that you can be good before God? Guys, I'm asking this to you who have not received Christ, and I'm asking this to you who would consider yourself to be a believer in Christ. It's it's the same question that you've got to consider. Are you placing yourself in your relationship with God under the law, or are you rejoicing in and receiving the free gift of righteousness that God gives apart from the law? of counting you as righteous through faith in Jesus? Are you depending on the law or are you embracing the grace of Jesus, that free gift? 
He says, though, that even though it's apart from the law, that the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Now, I want you to take note, point your eyeballs down at the verses that I'm talking about. Probably in the translation that you have in front of you, the first word law in verse 21 is a lowercase l. The second word law in verse 21 is an uppercase l. Now, that is a call by the translators, but I think they made the right call there. I think what's going on is that he is saying that there is the idea of little l law, the rules of God, the ideas of what God would have you to do or not to do, and then there is also what is called the law, the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament. And he says, yes, it is apart from the law, but look, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, have always told us about this. It's become clear. It has been manifested in the coming of Jesus, but it has always been borne witness to in the Old Testament too. He already said this in Romans. We already, I already preached a whole sermon on this because he said it in Romans. Back in, in verse 2 of chapter 1, with this gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. But he, he reminds us here, this is not a new gospel. This is not something that just got made up by Jesus' followers because they had to come up with some kind of an explanation for who this guy was and what they were doing. This is something that was preached throughout the Old Testament and became just burst open wide and manifested in Jesus. There's statements about this all the way back in Genesis. This idea of being right with God apart from the law through faith. It says in Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed the Lord, that's faith, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Not counting his works as righteousness, but counting faith. He's saying that in that instrument of faith, Moses, or excuse me, Abraham received the free gift of God's righteousness. In Jeremiah 23, Verses 5 and 6, there's a prophecy that says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. It said it all along right there. I don't have my own righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness, and it's coming in the righteous branch of David, whose name is Jesus. It's a righteousness that's outside of us. It's always been borne witness to throughout the Old Testament. There's statements directly about Christ, like in Genesis 3.15 and Isaiah 53 in direct prophecies. There are types and shadows throughout the Old Testament in small individual things that you can point at, like specific sacrifices and the ways that they point forward to Christ, specific pieces of furniture in the temple, the ways that they point forward to Christ. And then there's types and shadows and big things, like the entire nation of Israel itself. And the way that it is spoken of as God's son, where God can say, out of Egypt I called my son. And then you see Christ himself coming as the fulfillment, as the one who is Israel embodied, the purpose for Israel all along, Christ himself, who is called out of Egypt. You see it in the whole history of Israel, as the exodus from Egypt is accomplished on the cross of Jesus, where he said, 
I have a greater exodus to accomplish. You see it all over the place, but guys, I, I, I hope that you are reading your Old Testament, and I hope you have your eyes open to this, and I hope you know that all of it comes together in the person of Jesus. It has now been made manifest, the righteousness of God. Praise God, guys. Praise God that you live in a time when it has been made manifest. We're, we're uh, occasionally when somebody is going through some difficulties and going to the hospital and things like that, sometimes I'll just, I'll think about this and thank God for this and try to remind people of this is, what if you were going through this a hundred years ago? Right? That'd be Things were really different a hundred years ago. So many of the things that people go into the hospital for now, they would just not have had any way to make it a hundred years ago. But consider this. We live in the time when Christ has come. It's not as though there were no grace and no path of salvation before Christ came. But now that Christ has come, we live in the time when the righteousness of God is made manifest and the preaching of the gospel is going out freely to every tribe and tongue and nation or at least we're trying to make that happen and it's come to us by God's grace what an incredible thing to live in this time when Christ has come that's something to thank God for and we need to take hold of that even as I hope that you're like I say I hope you're regularly reading your Old Testament and I hope you're regularly reading it with a view to seeing what it says here, that the law and the prophets bear witness to the gospel. But guys, praise God that we live in a time when Jesus is freely known and freely preached. Oh, so good. But now. That is a good but now. And then it says in verse 22, the righteousness of God. He's clarifying what this righteousness is. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Guys, you need to be justified. You need justification. When the Bible uses the word right and righteous and just and justice and justification, all of those have the same root word. They're getting at the same idea that we need to stand as not guilty in God's courtroom. We need to be counted as right with God. There's a quote in your bulletin from the Baptist Catechism today. Here's, here's the definition of what this is. Justification. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accept us, accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to us and received by faith alone. And I'll leave you to look up the scripture references that are there in your bulletin, but that's what it is. It, it, it is having our sins forgiven, being accepted by God as righteous in his sight, not on the basis of man's righteousness, not on the basis of your personal righteousness, but on the basis of Christ's righteousness that God would count to you through faith. Wow, that's amazing. What is faith when it says we need to have the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ? Well, I'll give you another catechism definition. It says, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. 
I think that's a good definition. It is resting on Christ alone for salvation. That's faith. By faith in Jesus, we receive the free gift of righteousness, not by our own works. And that faith, as, I, as it says here, it's faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. A lot of times we talk about faith. The word faith gets thrown around all over the place. It gets used in all kinds of ways in the media and in the world, this idea of, well, there are faith communities out there. Are you a person of faith? A lot of times it's just kind of meaningless. Sometimes it's, it's just this very subjective thing where you think to yourself, well, am I a spiritual person? Well, then I guess I have faith. Or do I believe something that other people don't believe? Or do I try to make myself believe something that I don't actually think is true? That's not faith. That is not faith. What, what faith is, is this resting upon a specific person whose name is Jesus. God does not save people by faith that is not in Jesus Christ. Faith that's not in Jesus Christ is not faith. You could try to say to yourself, well, I believe that God is the kind of God who forgives, and so I have the kind of faith where I go to God with my sins and I ask for forgiveness, and I believe that he does forgive, and I feel better about it, and I have the kind of faith where I pray, and I have the kind of faith that fill in the blank, fill in the blank. But faith that saves is not that sort of floating around abstract spirituality. It is in a person. It is faith in Jesus Christ that saves. It is not your faith even that saves you. I should clarify that because it could sound that way from what I just said. Your faith does not save you. Jesus saves you through the instrument of faith. The way that it's put in Ephesians 2 is, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And even that faith, he says, this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God so that no one may boast. Isn't that amazing? Uh, you know what that does is it frees you up not to worry about, is my faith strong enough? Is my faith good enough? As though it depended on you and your faith, just turn to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the perfect, righteous God-man who lived for you, who died for you, who rose from the dead, who will take you and raise you and glorify you together with himself in all eternity. Look to him. That's what faith is. It's not worrying about whether or not your faith is perfect. It's about looking to Jesus and resting on him alone for salvation. Oh, guys, that, that faith. Uh, if, you're, if you're trying to, to have faith, by the way, that, that it's not in Jesus, that's ungodly. You may say, well, it's, uh, no, I'm spiritual. No, you're ungodly. That's, that's why he, he, there's these categories back in Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against not just unrighteousness of men, but all ungodliness of men. Even those who consider themselves righteous, who do not love and worship God as he has said, that is damnable. 
It's like saying to God, oh, I, want, I have a faith, I'm, I'm religious, I'm, I'm, uh, but, but I, Jesus, maybe, maybe not. That's like saying to God, you know what, I really want to come move into your house as long as you kick your son out of it. That's not faith. That's rebellion. That's rebellion. Guys, your faith can't be in something else either. Your faith can't be in another God. Your faith can't be in another religion. Your, your faith cannot be in religion itself. It can't, your faith can't be in the fact that you are a church member or in your baptism or in your taking of the Lord's Supper or having been brought up at this church or in anything else. Your faith cannot also, it can't be in yourself. You're not saved by faith in yourself. You're not saved by confidence that your faith is genuine. You're, you're not saved by an idea that you, this is the popular way of, of salvation in the secular religion that is just blasted at us all the time that, that would, would not even be considered a religion, but it is. This idea of discovering your authentic self and living it out. You cannot be saved by faith in yourself. You can't be saved by self-confidence. You can't be saved by authenticity. That, that faith, it can't even be in what Jesus does for you. Sometimes people talk about faith as though it's, yeah, I have faith in Jesus because I believe that when things are going hard, he's going to get me through it. As though Jesus were sort of like a backup generator that you add onto your house. If my power goes out, well, he'll still get my, my refrigerator running. That's not faith in Jesus. That's, I, I, I just want something to help me out in the things I actually care about. Faith in Jesus is looking to him and knowing who he is, God and man, in one person. Knowing his righteousness, knowing his love to sinners, knowing his love to you, knowing that he died to pay for your sins, that that was a greater need than whatever it is that you have to get through tomorrow. And embracing him, trusting in him alone for your salvation. Don't try to have faith in something else. It is faith in Jesus that saves. But guys, I have good news. Faith in Jesus saves. Let me put it this way. Jesus saves through faith alone. Jesus saves through faith alone. This is, he says, for all who believe. This is the last phrase we'll look at today. We'll take that last phrase of chapter 22. There is no distinction. We'll take that together with, with or, uh, verse 22. We'll take that together with verse 23 next time. But listen to this. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Not some who believe, not those who believe who were from the people that Jesus came out of, the Jewish people, not faith in Jesus for those who would convert to Judaism, not just through faith, through faith in Jesus for those who are the predominantly Gentile church in Rome, as he was writing to here, not for just for this kind of people, not just for that kind of people. It's not righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe and were really, really bad before that. Or 
not just for all who believe, and we're really good and self-righteous. It is for all who believe. Faith in Jesus Christ results in the free gift of God's righteousness for all who believe. It's not just about knowledge, this faith. I'm going to talk about faith. What is faith? A little bit more. It's not just knowing the truth of who Jesus is, although you must know it. It's not even just agreeing with the truth and believing on a head level the truth about who Jesus is, although that must also happen. But it is placing yourself in his hands, trust in Jesus. You must have faith in Jesus. It's not just for Jews like Paul. It's not just for Greeks like Dionysus the Areopagite. It's not just for barbarians like me. It's three categories of people he's already talked about in Romans. This is for anyone of any culture, any background who would come to Jesus. Guys, if you have ever thought to yourself, I don't need the preacher to tell me how sinful I am. I know. If you are deeply aware of your sin, that's a good thing. Because Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost. He is a good physician for those who are sick. Not for those who are pretending to be well, but receive that healing, guys. This Jesus... He grants you the righteousness of God as you believe in him. He grants it. Maybe you're in a different boat. Maybe you're among those who desperately needed to be convicted by chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 20. Needed to be convinced that you were a sinner because you were self-righteous. You were trusting in your own religion, in your own works, your own sense of goodness. There's good news for you too. Jesus will save you from your dead works. In fact, the Bible says that's part of why he came, is to redeem us from dead works. It's amazing. For all who believe, from the worst sinner who truly believes, you think your sins are just too bad because you've never told them to anybody at church and they're secret. You think they're too bad. Jesus says, come to the light and all who believe will receive that free gift of righteousness. It is the truth for the most upright religious person who truly believes to be rescued from their dead works and their ungodly self-righteousness. Let me put it this way. There is a but now and it is good. Regardless of, of how much... Let me talk to believers first here, okay? If you're a believer in Christ already, this is something you need every day. I'm not just talking here about how to get saved. I'm talking about here about our, our daily life that, that you and I, I think, if you're like me at all or like any of the people that I talk to who know Jesus, that there is always a temptation to look at ourselves. To look at ourselves and to either say, I have just not done well enough and I'm worried about my relationship with God. Or to say, I, I think I've done pretty good. 
I think I've got good fruit. I'm feeling all right. There is a call here, a reminder to say, stop looking at yourself. Stop trying to have faith in yourself. Stop trying to have a righteousness that is through the law. And instead, look to Jesus. Because in Jesus, we are granted the righteousness of God that doesn't really matter that much about you. Look to Jesus. And you who are lost apart from Christ, you who have not been born again, this is a free offer. And it's right here. To look and say, not I want to be religious, not I want to embrace this system, I want to think that I'm spiritual. This is a free offer to receive the free gift of God's righteousness as you would look at the righteous Son crucified for you. And you know what he will do? He will grant you that gift of faith. He will save you. He will count you as righteous in his sight so that if you got hit by a bus on Main Street right when you left here, you would do exactly what Jesus said to the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. Counted as righteous in his sight. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this glorious good news. We had so much bad news that we needed. That's why you gave it to us in Romans 1 through 3. But God, as we continue now, we have this good news, and we are so glad about it. So I pray that your law would drive us to your gospel. I pray that our own unrighteousness would drive us to the righteousness of Christ. God, I pray that you would grant those who don't yet believe the gift of grace through faith in Jesus. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. And God, I pray that you would help us who believe to look to Jesus, not to have faith in ourselves, not to have faith in something else, but to look to Jesus and to walk according to what he has laid out for us in advance by faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.